so excited to worship with you all this morning. Um, in Psalm 104, the word says that we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. So I want to take a moment and let's just let's just thank God for what he's doing in our in our in our lives, whether it's big or small, just
the things we did at first. You're clearing out the temple, you're cleaning out the dirt, for we are your territory, Lord, we are your church. We are your people, you are our God. We are your temple, make us holy like you are. chosen generation a people called to pray so help us God to please you where only you can see for every moment matters in eternity Oh! 
we need we surrender so we re-surrender your calling we're coming we're not walking we're running god we need we surrender so we re-surrender Like a fly, coming like a fly. I don't care what it looks like. 
Good morning, Harvest Church. I am, my name is Jeremy. I'm, I'm normally the announcement guy, but uh, this week I get to bring the word, be the bring the word guy. I got promoted. <laughs> hey, I could definitely use your prayer. Um, huge prayer request. Next weekend, I will be trapped on a bus with 39 youth headed up to the mountains. No, we're, we're uh, the youth group is next week is headed next weekend is headed to Heartland Christian Camp uh, Friday Saturday Sunday we're renting a 48 passenger bus we got 39 students going six leaders uh, be praying for us that, the, that God just 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 reaches those students uh, during that time up there it's a really neat testimony is uh, one of the junior high boys that's going his dad went to Heartland Christian Camp when he was in junior high and gave his Lord to gave his life to Lord at that camp. So it's, it's going to be a, a special time. We're really looking forward to it. Been planning for months, so it's, it's, it's really neat to see the fruit of that coming out. Um, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Uh, Steve's let me pick up right where he left off. I, I feel like the, the bases are loaded in a, in a sense. Uh, everybody knows chapter 11, the hall of faith. Um, so I'm going to bring do my best to bring the word this morning, but let me geek out with you on a few things. I, I, I'm a nerd, okay? Uh, I, I used to be more of a math and science nerd, but lately it's been more uh, literature nerd. I, I, I love these chapters. I love the word of God. I, I've grown in my uh, just love of English, literature, poetry, uh, and so let me just geek out for a, for a second with you. The, the wordsmith this wordsmithing that goes on in Hebrews is phenomenal. Um, we know that it's, it's, it's God-breathed, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, God just used these authors to write this. But if you go back, think back really quickly to, Gen- uh, sorry, to Hebrews chapter 10. It starts out this way, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things. That the law of the Old Testament was a shadow of things to come. And so I think we read through that so quickly and we just think, oh yeah, shadow, okay, yeah, yeah. Think about it for a second. You're out on a sunny day, not now because it's cloudy, but you're out on a sunny day and you look down and you don't see a shadow. Either it's noon and the sun is directly overhead or something's wrong, right? That shadow, but that shadows are always following us around, and yet they're, they don't have an actual substance. It's an outline of our, our, our bodies that are laid out depending on whatever the sun is. But you can deduce a few things from a shadow. If you, if you were to, went outside and just walk up strangely behind somebody and look at their shadow but don't actually look at who it is, you might be able to figure out by their shadow who it is, especially if you know a few people around here, you might be able to do this, but it, would, it, it doesn't give their exact skin, eye, hair color. There's no, all the details are lost. One of my classes at UCSB was a class on photo interpretation. Uh, and that's where they, these, these um, uh, airplanes from above would take pictures over the ground. And then often there were times farmers use them within their fields of, for look at crops and stuff, but also we got to look at some unclassified uh, photos of Area 51. And it was really cool because we had like, over the decades, we got, we got to see like uh, Area 51 from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And you get to analyze like what's changed over time. 
So you get to see the runways that were lengthened, like why, why an extra 5,000 feet on that runway? Why do you need, you know, that's interesting. Or you get to see where buildings are, 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 have either, buildings were built or whether they were added onto in, the, in their elevation. And what you could, the beginning, the details that emerged from those photo interpretations was if you knew what time and what date that photo was taken, and you knew the elevation of that uh, airplane that took that photo, you could find out actually a lot of details. Um, depending on the angle of the sun, the azimuth from the date and time, you could say, well, the, the sun was at this angle. That way, this shadow from the building cast a 60-foot-long shadow. And at that angle, well, that means that building is six, six stories tall. And so then all of a sudden, you can pull out little details, which help when, you know, you're looking at your enemies and trying to figure out, well, what do you, why, why do you have a missile? That's, nine, you know, all these different things. You can pull out some details, but you'll never, looking at Area 51, you'll never know what's inside those buildings. You can figure out the height, and you can figure out a few things, but you'll never, the details are lost. And the same with the shadow, the shadow of the things to come in the law. The outline is there, but there's, the details were somehow lost. They were, they were just darkened. Compare that, contrast chapter 10 with chapter 12, or the next chapter we'll be looking at. Chapter 12 starts out with this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So it went from shadows to now clouds. I love that, the wordplay that's going on. And, and the clouds are interesting because clouds can cast a shadow, but clouds can also block the shadows from happening. And in a sense, clouds are something that's kind of ethereal. They're, they're real, but they're not. They're kind of, they're there, but they're not. And this is, this is from this morning driving into work. I live in Santa Maria. I was crossing the Santa Maria Bridge, uh, a uh, a car going about 90 miles an hour with the Arizona license plates flew by me. And right after the bridge, there was this big fog bank. I don't know if any of you else experienced that. There's this big fog bank. And this, this, this Arizona license plated car, all of a sudden, you can just see him hitting the brakes. He didn't know what to make of this fog. And he put on his flashers like he needed to do that. I guess Arizona drivers don't know what Thule fog is, you know. For those of you who have ever driven to Central California, it was because this, this fog was so thick. It was about, I had maybe 100-yard visibility. It was, a, it was a thick cloud. Or maybe it's like this. When you're flying in one of those small passenger airplanes, you know, like the Cessnas, uh, uh, you know, those little four-seater airplanes. I had a chance a, year, a few years ago to go with a pilot, and, he, and we're flying, and on our course, it was going to take us right through a cloud. And as you're approaching the cloud, you want to, I, I wanted to like, ooh, ooh, you know, like, we're going we're gonna to hit the cloud, we're going to hit the cloud. And then all of a sudden the cloud, we just passed right through the cloud. It's there, but it's not. It's the strangest thing. So that is the cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. They're, in a sense, they're there, but they're, they're not, you know? So between the shadow of the things that come and the cloud of witnesses, we find ourselves in the hall of faith, this chapter 11, living by faith between the shadow and the cloud. Chapter 10 ends with how to live by faith, and that's going to give us a number of examples of how patriarchs and how people from the past, our ancient heroes, show us how to do that, how to live by faith. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word of God that's open on our laps, Lord. It's living, it's acting active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. So will you cut to the joints and the marrows, the division that only you can do through your scriptures, Lord. Illuminate your word of God to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a number of different um, chapter titles that, that have been given to chapter 11. Uh, I, I, I'll refer to it as the Hall of Faith um, as in like, you know, baseball, Hall of Faith, the legends of the sports, those, those people are kind of like solidified in there. You know, you got Babe Ruth, Pete Rose was, but then he wasn't right, and uh, all that drama. But the different tr titles, uh, titles that have come out of this chapter, I like, I, it's, it's just interesting to follow up. So the New Ch King James Version says, titles this chapter, By Faith We Understand. By Faith We Understand. The NIV says just simply, By Faith. 
New New Living Translation says faith and action. I kind of like that. These are how they they showed their, they lived it out by living in action, by faith and action. The Weymouth, an older translation, he he called it faith and its ancient heroes. Kind of like that one. Faith and its ancient heroes. Because I like picture books. Anybody else like picture books? I love picture books. Even reading to my daughters the picture books, it's fun, as, especially the beautifully illustrated ones. It's just fun to follow along. But recently, as my girls have been getting older, we've kind of trans, you know, we're, we're still reading some picture books, but we're starting to get into some novels. So I, I've been recently reading The Chronicles of Narnia with my daughters, and I think we're on book four or five. And it's so fun. And so my girls will be up in their beds, and they're kind of playing with their dolls and doing different stuff while I'm reading out loud to them. And every once in a while, you, you, as, you're, as you're opening through the book or reading through the book, there's a little black and white sketch. And my girls are always like, Dad, if, you, if there's a picture, we want to see it. Like, stop. Like, just you have to stop reading. We have to take this and show us the page because they want to know if what they're hearing is, 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 is how, what the, art, the artist or the writer, you know, was portraying. They, they want to see that it, it lines up. And that's why I love the Old Testament. And that's why the Hebrews, the Hebrew author is pointing back to the Old Testament patriarchs because the Old Testament is a picture book of New Testament truths. The Old Testament is a picture book. It's, it's how it's lived out of New Testament truths. It makes tangible, it makes faith a tangible thing. It shows us, encourages us of examples of those who have gone before us and, and encouraged us to live in that way. Now faith is, verse one, what faith is. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This chapter starts out with almost a working definition of what faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And another definition of faith would be what can be believed in a state of certainty with regard to belief. And this definition that the book of Hebrews gives is, is it twofold in relation to one, in relation to the future. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, so the things that are yet to come. And in relation to the right now, the invisible, it's the evidence of things not seen. That is what faith is. And that word substance, it's an interesting word. It's almost like substance is something that you're able to tangibly grasp, uh, hold. And different translators have, have translated that Greek word that's only used five times in the New Testament. It's called hypostasis. It's only translated five times, or it's only in the New Testament five times, and it's translated a little differently. Sometimes it's translated to assurance or confidence or reality. In the biblical usage, it has this, this picture of a steadfastness, firm, resolute, much like the, like, uh, the foundation of a home. That's, that's how this substance is used, the substance of our faith. It's this foundation. So over the years, I've, I've, I've loved doing construction. Most of my, my jobs have been remodeling, so kind of fixing what's already there. Uh, but my dream is to someday build my own home. And you start out with a blueprint. You, you design your home on a blueprint, and then you take that page, and then you, then you have the concrete foundation poured. And it's from that foundation that then you can walk on, you can stand on that foundation and begin to see, oh, my walls are gonna go here. The window's gonna open up to that viewpoint. Okay, this is, this is where the different things are gonna be, and it becomes really, it's the this, it's this substance that's there, it's the foundation, it's underlying of all the building that's gonna take place next. And that's what that word substance speaks to. It's tangible, it's the reality. And it's the reality of things yet hoped for. You walk onto that foundation, you begin to see the things, and you're hoping for this house to turn out this way. You can begin to see it in your mind's eye. Second Corinthians says that this is how we are to walk. We walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith, not by sight. And then 1 Corinthians 13 says this, now, and now abide faith, hope, and love in these three, but the greatest of these three is love. Why is love the greatest of faith and hope? Because when you're standing on that finished house, inside the finished house that's drywalled and furnished, you don't have to 
have faith that this is how the, how the house is going to turn out. You don't have to have hope that it's going to turn out this way. You are standing within a, fa- a finished house on the foundation that you placed because it's, it's there. It, it, you just you love your house now. You don't have to have faith or hope in these things. And that is the foundation that we're called in our Christian life. Someday when we meet Jesus face to face, we won't have to say, well, I hope I get to see Jesus. No, we will see him face to face. We won't have to say, uh, well, I have faith that, that this is going to happen. No, we will be in the presence of God. That's why those faith and hope are just going to pass away and there's going to be love. They won't be needed. So it's the, the substance of things to hope for and it's the evidence of things not seen. It speaks to future reward. It speaks to f- a furnished proof. It's, it's a police officer takes evidence, takes substance from a crime scene, stores it away, and then at the court trial later, when bringing it to to court, he would produce that evidence. But you don't take an empty bag of evidence and say, well, this is my evidence. No, you have to have firm evidence. You have to have some kind of substance. And that's our faith. Our substance is the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Weymouth translation uh, translates this verse this way. He says, now faith is a confident assurance of that for which we hope, a conviction of the reality of things we do not see. Do you have that conviction for the things we do not see this morning? Verse two says, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And those elders that is speaking of are the chapter 12, those in the Colosseum that are surrounding us and saying, go, go, you can do this. We were able to do this by God's grace. You can do it, go. And they're, they're encouraging us on. By faith, they have a testimony and now they're here to cheer us on. Verse three gives us now what, what faith does. What does faith do? Faith, verse three says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. It's a heavy verse. Faith understands is what faith starts with. Faith understands. Faith understands that the worlds, that all that we can see was framed by the world of God, that God created that. And if you've ever read the whole of this, this chapter and been like, man, I wonder if my story could fit in there. Lord, do I have the, the faith to be in Hebrews chapter 11? Guess what? You do. Do you notice who that, that first, where it starts off the list, what faith does? It says, by faith, we understand. Who is that? That's us. If you believe that this whole universe, the ages, the, the worlds were made and created by God and for him, that puts us right top and central into the hall of faith. I think that's amazing. Having not even been, been born yet, when Hebrews was written, we, we are included in that list by faith because we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. You and I. And that word worlds speaks of uh, the, the Greek word aeon. It's universe. It's, it's ages. It's all that we can see. And it was all created and equipped. It goes back to Genesis 1 when God created the heavens and the earth. We are included in that list. And what I love about the Bible is it's not, it's not a science book, but when it speaks about science, it's 100% accurate. Uh, no matter what the current scientific thought is, at the time of this was written, um, the understanding of what all matter was made of was very different. And they had different theories. And, and in fact, uh, 500 years before the, the book of Hebrews was written, they said everything was one substance. That was their understanding 500 years before, that one, everything was one substance. And then about 500 years before the book of Hebrews, uh, a philosopher came on the scene, and he said, well, if you take a rock and you split that rock in two, you have two halves. Well, let's just take that half and split that in half, and then you have half of the half, and then, then you half that, and then all the way down until you have these small, indivisible particles, or little, little things, little tiny the things that you can't quite see, but they're there, and that is an atom. That is what we're made of. These small, indivisible particles. That was the thought, but if you dig into this, and what we've come to know is that the atom is not the smallest of things. Atoms are made of 
electrons, protons, neutrons, and then those things are made of quarks, matter, antimatter, all these crazy stuff. And yet, at the core, an atom, if you, if you were to take an electron cloud of an atom, it has a radius 10,000 times greater than a nucleus. Follow me. I know you, didn't, you weren't expecting a science lesson, but the electron has electron cloud, which is the electron is like the free-floating negative charge, and that's floating around the, the, nutri, the uh, nucleus and the proton, neutron and the proton. And it has a 1,000 times greater uh, radius than the nucleus. And that was according to Los Alamos National Laboratory. So it, to make that into a tangible way, if the proton, if the center of the atom was the size of a basketball, the electron would be circling three miles away. That's a lot of space. In fact, there's more of nothing than there is actual substance in our world that we see and we look at is what the Bible is saying and has been saying all along. There's more of nothing than actual substance. Genesis 1 says, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and he created that. Science says 13.7 billion years ago there was a clump of mass that was so tightly compressed and it exploded and that's what created all that we see. And it was... Some say the, tide, the size of a pinhead is what all that the universe would encompass if all that space was taken out. So the Bible says that all that we see is made from stuff that we cannot see. New Living Translation says this verse, it's translated by, it says, by faith we understand the universe, entire universe was formed at God's command and that we now see, sorry, what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. ESV says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that it is seen, that what is seen is not made out of things which are visible. Young's Living Translation uh, from 1862 says this, by faith we understand the ages to have been prepared by a saying of God. In regard to the things not having, uh, in regard to the things seen, having not come out of things that appeared. Webster's in 1833 wrote this. He said, Through faith we understand that the worlds were not framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which appeared. That is us. That is what we believe, that God created the heavens and the earth. And if you look up the word Bible in, in the Webster's English language from 1828, he was an amazing man. It may surprise you. This is what he wrote about, if you, if you read the entry Bible, this is what he said. He says, the Bible, the book by way of eminence, the sacred volume in which are contained the revelations of God, the principles of Christian faith, and the rules of practice. It consists of two parts called the Old and New Testaments. The Bible should be the standard of language as well as of faith. That's what Noah Webster had to say in his dictionary in 1828. And he was also often called the father of American scholarship and education. Webster took 26 years to complete his dictionary in the process of learning 28 languages, including Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. And he knew so much after writing his dictionary that he wrote his own translation in, in, five years later, the Webster's Bible, in 1833. And he wanted the difficult King James Version to be understood by school children. And it's one of the reasons why he wrote uh, the dictionary in the first place. He felt inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Webster's Dictionary so that people could read the Bible and understand it. And he, in his own words, he said, education is useless without the Bible. And I think, man, how far have we come from, from that? And now we're going to get into the exciting part, the, the, the examples of the faith. Not only are we on the list by implication of believing that God created the heavens and the earth, but now he's going to give out how some characters in the Bible actually respond to that. Examples of the faith. Verse 4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, through it he, being dead, still speaks. So faith offers. That's the first, first encouragement is faith offers. And what did Cain offer? Cain offered but some of the fruit of the ground. And he'd worked for that. 
He'd worked for that fruit. He'd toiled in plucking the weeds and preparing the soil and all the hard work that, went, that goes involved with farming. The sweat off his brow, the blood off his hands. You know, he, his, his, his labor, his work in his hand, of his hands, his effort is what he offered to God as a sacrifice. And it wasn't accepted. But Abel, what did Abel offer? Well, he offered the first, the best, and the bloodied. Why did Abel offer sheep? That time, why was Abel even a keeper of the sheep? At that time, man, it wasn't until after the flood that man began to eat meat. So why did Abel even keep sheep in the first place? Why did he spend all of his time keeping sheep? Well, it would have been for covering. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. We find this scripture that says this. You see, God had just laid out the consequences of the fall of man's sin and their choices thereof. And while they were still in the garden, it says, and also uh, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So there in the garden, before they had to leave the garden to protect them from eating the tree of life, God looks at their condition and they've sinned, they've messed up, and they've done what's best. They took of some of the plant around them, the fig leaves, and they covered themselves with that. And fig leaves, if you know, they are scratchy and itchy. I could not imagine having fig leaf clothing. They would break apart, they would tear up, it would just be gone in no time. But that's what they used to try to cover their sin because they knew that they were naked. And so God says, I got something better for you. But God, in the Garden of Eden, says he made tunics of skin. Now, I don't think God just called a tunic of skin into being. I think in that first temple on, in the Garden of Eden, God took an innocent lamb and he sacrificed that lamb in a sense and then took of the skin of that lamb and then covered Adam and Eve. So when Cain said, I need to make an offering for sacrifice, this is what God's called me to do. He, he knew the pattern already, that the pattern had been set. And Abel, speaking not only of the pattern that the covering of sin was, was made, that God had made the covering of skin and clothed them, that, that one day, someday soon, he would look forward to the coming lamb of God that would come and sacrifice on, our, on his part and on our part. He was looking forward to something. And that still speaks. Abel looked forward to the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, and we look back on it. That still speaks. Back to Hebrews 11, verse 5. We come to one of my heroes of the faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. And for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Faith pleases God. That was his testimony, that he pleased God. He was this... this Strange guy that he, he walked with God and then he was not for God took him. He simply continued his walk, his journey with the Lord, uh, forgetting about his contemporaries, keeping his eyes set on God, just continuing that walk of faith until he was raptured up, he was caught up into heaven. You see, he was a prophet of righteousness, Jude would say. He was prophesying to his generation of the judgment that was to come, namely the flood, that he would never have to see because he was raptured out of it. He was, he was walking to be above the ways of his fellow man, the culture around, and he chose to walk with God, not with his friends. That was the, how Enoch pleased God by faith. Verse six says, the, it's the necessity of faith. It says, by, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you, if you take that into account, that's really serious, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. How do we please God? Only by faith. Not our, not our works, not our attitudes, not the things that we can do towards or for him. It is by faith alone. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So not only is it impossible to not please God without faith, it also, we come to God in a certain way. Uh, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder 
and that of those who diligently seek him. So we believe that God is, that he rewards, and that we, he can be sought out as our God. And maybe this morning you want to be, you're building the foundation of your faith. If you're just starting to set that foundation, if you're reading the blueprint of the word of God and you say, I want to I start building that house of faith, a, a few resources just from our church. Al Provost wrote a 600-page uh, book. He, he assembled it uh, of, called What is Your Foundation for Life? And in it, he pulls all these different science and uh, mathematics and all these things to point that we have a good creator God. And I have that available in my office if anybody's interested. And Shannon, Shannon, uh, Sharon Dutcher also wrote a book called New Beginnings. She, she goes to our church and uh, it, just on the foundations of faith. So if that's what you're building, look, because God can be sought after. So many atheists like C.S. Lewis, Lee Strobel sought to disprove God. They said, I'm gonna disprove the Bible and I'm gonna disprove God. And in fact, they, ha- they end up proving God Coming to God. Love C.S. Lewis. Love his books. So we have these continued examples, continue on in verse 7. We have the example of Noah. Noah listened. It says, By faith, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Faith listens. Any surfers out there? You ever been out in the water and you hear somebody yell, outside! It doesn't mean that you're out of doors and you're just enjoying the outside. Outside means there's, you are in the set waves currently, but there is a wave that's breaking and it's bigger than any other wave and it's coming right at you. So you yell outside and the thought is to warn everybody else that there's this big wave coming out, and if you don't start paddling out, out in, try to get past that wave, then it's going to take you out. So you yell, outside! And that was what Noah was doing to his generation. At that time, the, the, it, no one had ever seen rain. It had never flooded. And so God, listening to God, and God warning him of things to come, he moves with godly fear. He yells outside to his, his contemporaries and begins building an ark. And he began building his ark for not only himself, but his first household. It cost him everything. It cost him his reputation. People would have called him silly, dumb. What, what, what do you... This thing that's, that's coming, rain? It's not gonna rain, it's never rained. We have the dew that comes out of the ground, that waters the ground, that's, no. There's, that's not gonna fall from the heavens, that would be ridiculous. Building large ships was not Noah's occupation before that, so it cost him everything. If you think of the timeline, and this, 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 this gives me a little bit of curiosity, but if you think of the timeline, the Bible says in Genesis 7 that the floods came upon the earth when Noah was 600 years old. Noah's sons were born to him when he was 500 years old in Genesis 5. But Genesis 6, verse 3, we find this verse. It says, The Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, does that mean the limits of us are only going to be 120 years old? I believe it was God speaking in 120 years, because of the condition of mankind, I'm going to bring a flood. So if you do the math, that puts the flood at when no one was, or that puts God warning, making that warning, making that call, the, the prophecy that he was going to be 480 years old. That's 20 years before his kids were even born. Was God giving him a prophesy, Noah, you don't have kids yet, but you are going to have kids. You're going to have sons. And if you want to prepare you, if you want to save you and your household, then begin building this ark. Begin preparing for the future. Noah heard that, and he moved with godly fear. He didn't wait. He didn't delay. We have an amazing example of how faith listens to God and moves. Verse 8 says, Now, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place from which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. 
Abraham gives us the, the example of faith obeys. Faith obeys. Faith obeys the voice of God. And most likely, he had an inheritance in his own land, in the land of Ur of the Chaldees. And it probably would have been a great inheritance. Ur of the Chaldees was known to be a place of luxury living. It was a place where there was many temples to different gods. It was, it was a place where a lot was happening. It was a metropolis. It was a place where hot tubs were invented. God says, Abraham, I want you to leave your hot tub, and I'm going to bring you to this special place where you're going to live. Called to leave that place and go out. Faith obeys. And faith obeys even during that time. You don't leave a family. Moving was not something that was common in that culture. You would have to move away from your family, your land, security. All those were tied up from where you were. Yet faith obeys hearing the voice of God. Not knowing where he was going, but once he was there, verse 9 says, by faith, he, as an Abraham, dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, their heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has its foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What example? Faith lives it out. He had to live it out day to day. He had to live in a tent the rest of his life traveling around. I go backpacking from time to time. Living in a tent is not a comfortable thing. He had to leave his, the wealth and land of Ur and to now live in tents waiting for that promise that God was going to give him. In 1859, the third hottest temperature on record that we have on record was recorded in Santa Barbara. 133 degrees. You can fact check me. 133 degrees in 1859 in Santa Barbara. Uh, morning like any other else, according to documents, and at, it, be, it began blowing this warm, war, warm air off the off from uh, from Arizona, and and by the time it was uh, four or five in the afternoon, it was 133 degrees. You can imagine, that was pre-air conditioning, so people are trying to get out of this heat. And that was recorded on a schooner ship out in the harbor, 133 degrees on the water. So you can only imagine how hot it was on the shores. And people did everything to try to escape the heat. They, 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 uh, they tried jumping down their wells, and some people died down there, um, the, the, the trees were scorched on one side from this hot wind. Cattle died out, out, in, the, out in the pastures. It was, a whole, it, was, it was called the day that hell came to Santa Barbara, 1859. But a lot of people were able to survive because they went into their adobe homes. And those adobe homes helped buffer the heat and they were able to, to, to survive because they had those thick walls. And that was the same thick walls that Abraham had to leave in Ur that he went to now live in a tent. And if you've ever woken up in the morning out in a tent and backpacking, you know that the second that sun hits that tent, it's blazing hot. So there Abraham and his sons are sitting in the shade of their tent and they have their fans out in the heat of the day and they're talking. And his sons say, Abraham, or dad, why can't we live in a house like everyone else? Why can't we build a house? We have the resources. We're rich beyond measure. Why can't we build a solid house? And Abraham would have to remind him, no, th these are our promises. God has promised us this, that we have a foundation. We're waiting for heaven. There's something greater than building our home here. God is making a city for us uh, which has this foundation to builder and maker as God. And I look at the way that I try to raise my own girls and I think of them all the times they said, Dad, why can't we watch this movie? Or why can't we go this place? Or why can't we do that? I have to say, well, that's because we need to listen and obey God for his plan for our life. Sometimes there's things we can't do. There's sometimes that won't do because we're looking forward to our future home. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Faith receives. Faith receives the promises of God. Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac. 
And yet she looked not to herself, but she looked to God as the promiser. So she received that, 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 that blessing. Because she received that blessing, she was able to pass it on to her husband and ultimately the world. Therefore, verse 12, from one man and then him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable is the sand which is by the seashore. It goes on to say in verse 13, and all these they died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and they were assured of them. They embraced them and they confessed them. How do you embrace a promise? Well, you believe it, you embrace it by faith. They embraced them and they confessed them. They were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, they would have had the opportunity to return. They're looking forward to this country, the promises that God has. If they had a chance, like, like Lot's wife, to look back and with wishful thoughts to go back to that place and she turned into a pillar of salt. No, they kept their eyes forward. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they kept their eyes forward. They said, no, there is a better place. Verse 16, but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. Very much reminds me of a young missionary man named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, when he was 18 or 19, wrote in his journal a quote, and I, my dad wrote it in, in his Bible, and I've since then wrote, written it in mine, but it says this. It says, he is no fool, this is from my dad's Bible, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott, as a, as a young man, realized that there were things that in this world that he was not going to be able to keep. When you go to heaven, there's no limousine or all your U-Haul stuff going with you, right? He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He looked towards heaven and all that was there waiting for him, and he went to, down to South America to a headhunting tribe and lost his life for the Lord because he said, what I have on this earth is temporary, it's fleeting, but what heaven offers is much far greater. These all died in faith because they desired something better. Do you seek that homeland, I guess? I, I, I look at my bookshelf and I'm like, man, I, my, my, my balance is so off. I have probably 500 books in my office and only two books are on heaven. And my first thought of heaven, and forgive me, but I think of chubby baby angels Floating on clouds. My friend, growing up, his mom loved to have these little baby, chubby baby angels floating on clouds in her house. And that was what just always stuck. Okay, that's heaven. Okay, heaven's an eternal worship service and my arms are gonna get sore. But yeah, all these patriarchs of the faith looked forward to heaven because it was so far greater. What are your thoughts on heaven? I think that will shape how you live now. How real is heaven to you? Is it a tangible thing? Every once in a while, I feel like there, God gives us those little glimpses. I, and I can remember randomly being in the garage with my brother as a kid, and we were just tinkering, we were playing, and it was just, we were just having the best time. I'm like, man, I wonder if this is what heaven's gonna be like. Maybe it's outside hiking, or maybe it's in the water. Like, what is, it's gonna be so good. But why do I only have two books out of 500 on this topic of heaven? All these patriarchs, they, they show us examples. By faith, they understood. By faith, they offered. By faith, they pleased God. By faith, they listened. By faith, they obeyed. By faith, they lived it out. By faith, they received by faith, we can live as strangers and pilgrims, and that's expressed by their, by their will and by our will, by the choices that we make. Do we have that heavenly hope? I pray the Lord to give that to us. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord, we desire that heavenly hope, Lord, for a place whose foundations will not crumble for a builder that has been building for thousands of years this eternal home for us, Lord, where this, everything of this world that we seem to know 
It's just going to fade away. The, the sin, the death, the pain, the cancer, the, the hurt caused by others, all that's going to fade away, Lord, until we are in the presence of you, in your immeasurable love, in our resurrected bodies, in a physical place, Lord, eating the best of foods. Lord God, just give us that hope of heaven that these patriarchs have, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How I long Breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone And mercy fills the streets To look upon The one who bled to save me And walk with him For all eternity There will be a day when all will bow before him there will be a day when death will be no more standing face to face with he who died and rose again holy holy is the lord and every prayer songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear in the end you see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears and there will be a day when all will bow before him the heroes of the faith with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the lamb who was slain and on that day we join the resurrection stand beside of the faith with one voice thousand generations sing worthy is the
God, that you are holy. And um, we just look forward to that day when we get to stand face to face with, with Jesus who died and rose again for us. And made, our, made our way so we could be there. And so we have that hope, that constant assurance, Lord. Thank you for uh, just the truth of your word and, and the hope that it brings, Lord, to our lives. And pray you help us to walk it out and walk in faith as we leave today. Um, thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.